0: Um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in a second. The title of the message today is part of our Heaven on Earth series is called I Believe in Miracles, Even When I Don't See Them. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and following. The Holy Spirit writes this to the church. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. These are the very words of God. So today I'm not going to specifically work through different kinds of giftings here, but I just want to point out that according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit will empower people to do things that are somewhat supernatural, especially the ones that would be like the gifts of healing, and the workings of miracles, and the gift of faith. Um, prophecy is also quite supernatural, as well as speaking in tongues, which is Bible speak for speaking in languages that you don't yourself understand. These, these are supernatural things. And so this morning I just want to uh, say afresh that I totally, absolutely believe in miracles, even when I don't see them. And my desire for us as a church is I want us to grow in expectation for God to do miracles because of his mercy as the primary reason for him doing these things and to be ready to not be discouraged when we don't get what we want. Amen? Amen. Amen. So these are kind of the three points I want to hit. I want to talk about what isn't a miracle, and that'll be clear what I mean by that, I want to talk about when you don't get what you want and I want to end with an emphasis on trusting God to be merciful when we're asking for big things. So let me just start off by asking the question in reality, in our lives as people in God's creation what exactly isn't a miracle? Because it's all a miracle. Okay, everything is a miracle that you will ever see. According to scripture, before God made everything, there was nothing but God. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, as well as the, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews said, by faith we believe that all things were created by God. Before he spoke anything into being, there was nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, so before there's anything, there's just God, which means everything that is, is here by miracle. It's here by God speaking and creating something that wasn't there before. Normal is nothing. Where there is something, God has done something profound and powerful and amazing. We're starting off at a 9. I'm going to go up to 10, but I'm starting. Up, I'm not easing you into the pool. You're going into the deep end. If you're visiting us here this morning... This is normal, and I apologize, and you're welcome to come back or not. There's lots of churches in Steinbach, and so everyone can find their home, but this is normal for us, and so um, there you go. We tend to think of life in terms of the natural and the supernatural, right? There's normal, and then there's abnormal, and we feel very safe with the normal and the expected and the laws of physics and... The gravity is matter accelerating at 9.8 meters per second squared towards other bodies. And all that stuff, we like our chemistry, we like our physics, we like normal. Normal is nothing existing except for God. Everything besides God is a supernatural work of creative miracle. Chapter 1 of Genesis Why is there light? Because God said, let there be light. Why is there space? Because God said, let there be space. Why is there dry land on this earth? Because God said, let there be dry land. Why is there any plant life? Because the all-powerful God spoke, whatever that meant for Him, and things that weren't there before became there. Why are there birds? Why are there fish? Why are there dogs? Why are there cats? That's a, that's a question that will never be answered satisfactorily. Keep going, Rob. Keep going. And then to top it all off, He made us in His image. We're not normal. We're, we're all miracle. It's all miracle. It's all miracle. And when we think supernatural, when we think miracle, I'm praying for a miracle. What we're often asking God to do is to make something work that's now broken, right? A miracle of healing, make a body work that's now broken. A miracle of provision, my finances are broken, please come to the rescue. A miracle in our politics, our country is broken, please come to the rescue. And I think that a sane mind will begin by acknowledging that the creator and inventor of something is greater than the fixer of something. The fact that God could imagine and make an eyeball is more impressive and glorious than that He could fix it by making it have 20-20 vision when someone's short-sighted. Okay? The fact that He can make a living body work and come out of a woman... "Ah, That's crazy! But the fact that it's even working is actually more glorious than that He can raise a body back from the dead. Normal is amazing. And part of being fallen and sinful is that we don't see it anymore. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, meaning people like us, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because He has shown it to them for his invisible attributes attributes, excuse me, namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he 's made, and this is what scripture is saying god 's miraculous power has been on display for all of our lives, if we would just look. so clearly that no human being can actually say, I couldn't tell that there was a God. No, we're blind on purpose. We're blind on purpose, so we don't have to thank Him and honor Him and be submitted to Him and acknowledge that we're not in control, and He must be. That's the problem. But if you just have eyes to see, Jackie Balfour is enough glory for me to worship the Lord for the rest of my life without Him having to do anything else. Kaboom! And I mean it. we're on this rock flying around this humongous ball of like, I don't even get the ma- the science, so, so- someone's going to correct me after. This humongous ball of like hydrogen that's so huge that it is always crushing itself and turning itself back and forth into helium and hydrogen again, causing so much heat to come off that it's like This ball of never ending gas lava that throws off enough heat to keep us warm and sometimes kill us, even though we're so far away from it that it takes eight minutes for light, which is the fastest thing in the universe, to even get here. Worship Him now! And we're held in place by this thing we call gravity. Nobody knows what it is. They can talk about it and describe it. Why in the world should matter bend space? It's not normal. Blah! And we think God needs to make our lives easier supernaturally so that we will praise Him. There is something wrong with us. Okay. So usually what we mean when we talk about a miracle or the supernatural is... Something that extraordinarily displays that God is in control and all-powerful because it's not quote-unquote normal, right? I need a miracle. Do something where I can tell that that's not normal. And, And I think it's good to remember that the miracles are actually as easy, if not easier for God, than the creation in the first place. He's amazing. And we're so caught in this natural, supernatural division, which there isn't one because it's all supernatural. God made it all and he sustains it all, that we can even think like, God, heal me miraculously and don't make me depend on doctors or medicine or something like that, right? And I think it's so much wiser just to realize that the medicine and human skill is also God's, Supernatural kindness. Because the only reason people invent technology is because in Genesis chapter 1, God commanded mankind to increase and multiply and take dominion over his creation. He blessed them to actually figure out how his creation works and learn how to use it for the good of the world. He he commanded them to do that with the power to do that. And so when people invent things like aspirin, and then figure out ways to put it into a powder and then pound it into a pill and then ship it to superstore because somebody invented a car where you can take dead material that's rotted in the ground into some slurry and then you can put that through some sort of processes to turn that into gasoline and you can do it so well that it's like cheaper than coke which is weird that gasoline is cheaper than coke which is just so weird (sighs) So grateful! You can put that into your car and drive to superstore to get the aspirin that's been pounded into pills, so that when you have a headache, you can say, "Supernaturally, take away my headache." Oh, never mind! I'll just take a pill. And he doesn't get the glory, even though he's in charge of every single moment and every single idea and every single person throughout all the creation that came to the moment of you being able to get that. Praise him now. Amen. Like he did it. he just did it over time, and so we go nothing crazy, so I think it's wise just to why don't we just give him credit for every good thing? I think that's in the Bible too, amen, so I'm just waving my arms because i i I want to be. Like, this is part of how I get, because I'm kind of melancholic, so I tend to see the worst part of everything naturally. And how I get through life is to just realize that in everything, God is actually amazing. He is so amazing. He's just so amazing, guys. Come on. Everything's amazing. Nothing nothing belongs here. Even our terrible snowstorms. We're all just like, look at us, we've got these sweet cars and winter tires, and God's like, you know what, I can just make a cloud move, and then all your cars are flying off the road. Uh, which is dangerous, but at the same time, that's amazing! And, <laughs> Father, I need you. You know, the whole thing. Okay, number two. When it comes to miracles, one of our biggest stumbling points is that we often don't get what we want or we're afraid of not getting what we want or we're afraid of being disappointed in God anybody anybody here ever been afraid of being disappointed in God I I feel like I really need something but I can't ask because if you don't do it I'm just gonna I don't know how I'm gonna respond just so you know that's actually normal not for necessarily everybody but for many Christians to be discouraged before you even start because you're afraid of how it might turn out you're afraid of being hurt afraid of being disappointed You have a home here, if you're like that. Miracles can be rough. The supernatural can be rough because they're rare. And miracles are kind of rare by definition, right? If they happened all the time, then then it would get moved into the normal category where we would not appreciate it. Um, Like gasoline that's cheaper than Coke. So crazy. So crazy. Maybe it's not cheaper than Coke. Sometimes it is. Depends if you're buying that Coke at a baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to be disappointed, and we know that even in the presence of a miracle-working God, sometimes we are. Some of the greatest moments of disappointment in Scripture are the story of Lazarus and the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You might remember the story of Lazarus um, from John chapter 11 where Jesus had, in his human life, he had um, close friends. Okay? So yes, did he love everybody he met? Absolutely. But in his human life, he had closer friends than other people. And one of his closest friends was this family, Martha Mary and their brother Lazarus. And Jesus was out somewhere, I don't remember where, with his disciples and Lazarus has gotten deathly ill. And they send Lazarus Sorry, they send a message to Jesus. And the message, it's so tender, it's crazy. It says something along the lines of, the one who you love is ill. And they're calling on him to come because they believe that he's the Messiah and they believe that he's the Son of God and they they know that if he comes and prays that Lazarus will live. And Jesus' response is to wait two days before even heading out. And the scripture is just paradoxically... Difficult because it, the actual Greek there says, now, now Jesus loved them, and because of this, he waited two days before he headed out. And so he shows up to Lazarus' funeral. And the part that I just want to emphasize is that when Jesus meets Mary and Martha, both of their responses are exactly the same. They say to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you can just hear the profound disappointment in that statement. You didn't show up, and then he, they didn't even know that he showed up late on purpose. Imagine the, the like hurt and offense if they if if someone had gone ahead and said, "Well, I don't think they knew," but imagine someone had gone ahead and said, "Yeah, we we had two more days at." just sitting around before we came, like they would have been devastated, don't you think? Another story of disappointment after Jesus is crucified. A couple of his disciples who are in Jerusalem are heading to a town called Emmaus, and they're walking along, and Jesus has raised, been raised from the dead. and He, he does his... Um, he kind of throws on one of those hoods and he starts walking with them and they don't know that it's him. They're walking along the road to Emmaus and they don't understand that Jesus has just sidled up beside them. Not unlike us. We don't always notice when Jesus is drawn really near. And so he starts... This is really I like this about Jesus. Like Just, just so we can fit this into our concepts of him, he starts kind of playing with them by, by playing dumb. Um, he says, so what are you guys talking about? And they they're like where have you been? You know, we were talking about Jesus. So who's this Jesus person, they say. He's like, oh, he was just so awesome and powerful indeed. And there's this little line when they're talking to Jesus and they're sad while they're talking about it and they say to him, and we had hoped that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. Uh, You can just hear the disappointment. We we had set all our hopes on Jesus. We thought he was the the Messiah. We thought he was the Son of God. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was going to deliver us. And instead he just got himself killed and he just hung there like a piece of meat and did nothing. So now we're going home. We thought that he was the miracle-working God. We thought he was the way-maker, the miracle-worker, the promise-keeper, the light in the darkness. We thought this. We were wrong. They're telling Jesus. <laughs> this is, like, we're not in control, right? We're, we just are not writing our own stories here. I'm so disappointed in you, Jesus, Though I don't know it's you, Jesus. And you just wonder if he was kind of like... (coughs) (coughs) So unsympathetic, so not caring about their feelings at the moment. And then he starts lacing into them with this long Bible study on how the Messiah was supposed to suffer and be raised from the dead, and he just does not let them off the hook. And then they go and have communion, and he breaks the bread, and in that moment they realize, this is Jesus, and then he disappears. Just like in your lives. Jesus is it. Way to go. Oh. Anybody? Just things that Oh, things are better. Way to go. So this happens. We are sometimes disappointed by a God who's still in control and still loves us. This is the thing about both of these stories is that Jesus is pastoring these people who are so disappointed in him because he didn't show up with the miracle they wanted. It's crazy, isn't it? He is literally pastoring them, even though they're just like, you failed me. Behold your God. We can also get disappointed because we don't actually get exactly what we're looking for because what we think the miracle we need is sometimes isn't what's God's plan. So two examples of this, one from Second Corinthians twelve ten. And this is a really important passage, I think, for Christians in our day and age. And it's where Paul is talking about his God-given ongoing sufferings um, as an apostle. And you gotta remember, like you've been reading Acts, right? Did Paul have any problems doing miracles? No. The, the, he healed people, he, he raised that kid from the dead who fell out of a window. Right, um, he, and I think it was in Ephesus. Forget, forgive me if it wasn't Ephesus. He was had such a raging healing ministry that he would like pray over napkins, and people would take the napkins and put them on sick people, and they get healed. He had the napkin ministry. Anybody want to do some napkin ministry? We can. What kind? Of, well, if you're going to do it right, it's got to be cloth. It can't be paper. That's not the point. It wasn't the napkin. It's never the napkin. But he was doing napkin ministry. So healing, healing, raising the dead, sometimes striking people blind, not a problem when it comes to the miracles, but this was part of the cost for him to be a miracle-working apostle. And he's having this fight with the church because we're reading 1 Corinthians where he's like wrestling with the church about certain issues, and part of the reason he has this fight with them is a bunch of them did not receive the correction well which happens sometimes. And they are just so committed to giving their hearts to apostles who look good, sound good, look healthy, look rich, and have everything put together and look like they're in control of their lives. And they want to reject Paul because he doesn't look great and he doesn't sound great and he look, he stinks and he, he's always losing the arguments he gets in and he's always losing the fights he gets in. And and, uh, and Paul's desperate because he he's trying to get them to understand that this Jesus that they... Our worshiping is the Jesus who was crucified, and so he his 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 way of being an apostle. He didn't talk about his his the miracles that just happened between him and God very much, but he's so desperate to try to help this this church that he's going to talk about it this time. And so he says this in chapter twelve. So he says, and this is really important, okay, because. We need to have room in our brains for this kind of life. I must go on boasting, he says. He's joking because he's not actually boasting. He's boasting in in his failures and weaknesses. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, he's talking about himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, meaning the very throne room of God. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Okay. That's amazing right there. On behalf of this man... I will boast, but on behalf of myself I will not boast except in my weaknesses, though I should wish to boast. If I would wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's talking about his trip to heaven, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Ah! to harass me, ah! to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I'm praying for a miracle. Get this thorn out of my flesh. But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me for the sake of Christ. Then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So this is what I'm trying to say with this whole passage. Paul pled three times for a miracle. Get this messenger from Satan out of my life. And Jesus says, no, I have a different and better miracle for you. The all-surpassing power of Christ working through your weakness. Paul didn't get what he wanted. He got something different. And better for us. And safer for Paul. The whole point of the suffering was that so that Paul didn't kill himself because of the revelations he had. So this is part of praying for miracles. This is part of praying for more supernatural stuff, is knowing that in our hearts. Sometimes we will have these fears of things not happening or sometimes we'll have these fears of being disappointed by God doing something or doing something we didn't want or not doing exactly what we wanted or maybe looking bad because something didn't show up and we have to be willing to say yes to whatever God is going to do in response to what we ask. And it's biblical to have to work through this sometimes. I asked for this, God, and you didn't do it. Or I asked for this, and you didn't show up when I thought I I needed you. Or I asked for this, and you said no to what I asked for, and yes to something else, which I didn't want. I don't I don't want power and weakness. I want power and strength. That's what that's what strength is for. That's power. So, so this is part of it. I, I just know it. Like, aren't, aren't we held back, church, by worrying about what's going to happen or not happen? Doesn't that slow you down when you want to pray? Okay, that's normal, but it can't be the last word. Amen? That's normal, but Jesus is right there while you're feeling that, saying, let's keep going. Amen? Amen. And even if things go terribly wrong, Lazarus, Emmaus, Jesus will show up to walk you through it. Amen? We need that confidence in this because life is a mess and the devil doesn't want us praying. <laughs> and It's not going to work out how we think. It's going to work out how God wants. But what he wants is us to be praying in faith for these kinds of things. Amen? Okay, so let's, oh, I got lots of time. This is what happens when you start off on nine. You're like, it's less relational. Where's the funny jokes? But I'm almost done. So let's keep moving here. I haven't had like one pop culture reference yet, which means I haven't confused anybody I know and love. Number three, I don't think we would make a mistake at all if we taught ourselves mentally and emotionally to ask for miracles just because God is so amazingly merciful. Not because we're great, not because we pray right, not because... Anybody deserves it just because Jesus is profoundly merciful. Okay? Will God ever work miracles because we deserve it? I hope not. And I don't even think so. Church, we're sinners. We're sinners. And that name sinner means we are God's, we're rebellious against God. We have this inclination to not trust Him and to disobey Him and to work against Him. We're sinners by nature. And so God really will never be in a place where He owes us anything because we're... In a place where we're always needing things from Him, especially forgiveness. And so I've been trying to think of this analogy to help us embrace just seeking God's mercy when we come to pray for miracles, which God wants to do. And this is it. Okay, did you guys hear about that story where somebody drove a truck into somebody's house in town recently? Did you guys hear about that? Not easily done. But so there was this thing, and it sounded like it was just a mistake, but I just, my mind starts running on stories sometimes. Imagine you're a homeowner, maybe you are, and you're woken up by this loud crashing sound. It's because somebody's driven a truck into your house. Okay? And you go outside, and the, the individual is stumbling out of their truck, and they're like, Ah, my truck! My poor truck! How could you have left your house here? Right where I was going to drive! Oh, my truck. I love this truck. Well, I hope you better be ready to fix my truck because it's all banged up. And can you give me a ride to work? How would you feel about that person? Okay. Banged up your house. Only concerned about themselves blames you for it, wants you to fix it, and wants you to do them a favor. Okay. That's us as sinners. We were born into God's world. Our sin bangs up His creation. Our sin makes His creation look worse. And then when our sin comes back and starts making our lives terrible, what do we do? God, where were you on that one? Why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you make things better? I can't believe you let me do that. You better fix this or I'm going to go around telling people you don't exist. And by the way, I feel like throwing up. Can you make me feel better? Uh. (laughs) It's true. What we deserve is the lake of fire. Period. Period. Never go for deserve. Never go for earn when it comes to praying. Never. Never. It doesn't work. Instead, go for mercy. And I'm going to prove this from the life of Jesus. Okay? This isn't just me talking. Story number one where Jesus loves it when people come to him for mercy. Story of the centurion from Luke chapter 7. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued to him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent... To him, elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal a servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed, for I am a man. And under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Isn't this amazing! Okay, Number one, he's a centurion, so he's not a Jew, and he's part of the soldier forces occupying Israel. But God's done something in his heart, and he's a bit of a believer because he's actually pro-Israel, and he's built them a synagogue, and he's got this servant who's dying. And the elders go and are pleading with Jesus. He deserves this. He loves us, and he's built us a synagogue. You should come and heal this guy. And Jesus is like... Normal day for me, but I'll come heal him. And then when he's on his way, but not even there, this is one of the best parts of scripture. The centurion says to him, Don't come. Okay, so he is the most uncharismatic person ever because the presence of God is on the way to his house, and he says, Don't come. I'm not worthy. But, you just say the word, this is done. And Jesus, this is like one of the high points of Jesus' entire earthly life. He t- marvels. Okay, as far as I understand, the only time Jesus marveled in the Gospels besides this was when he was marveling at their unbelief in some of the towns. He marvels at this guy's faith because he gets it. He know, this guy knows who I am. It's true. He's totally not worthy for me to come to his house. Never will be. And I can totally just ask my dad, and this is done. So he turns around and says, in, in my entire nation of Israel that I am the king of, I've been here for like 20 years since I got back from Egypt. I have not met one person with faith like this. And it all starts with him saying, I'm not worthy. Bah! Did he get his miracle? Because he depended on his authority and because he depended that he would just answer when he was asked next story in the same chapter i think luke is trying to make a point here soon afterwards he went to a town called nain and his disciples in a great crowd went with him and he drew near to the gate of the town and behold a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother and she said she was a widow so she's all alone now and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and touched the buyer, which is the thing they were carrying the body on. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother and fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen amongst us and God has visited his people. And this report spread. So the whole region of Judea and the surrounding countryside what is amazing about this story to me is this who prayed who prayed for the miracle guys you're going to see jesus here who prayed for the miracle right answer no one That's why you're so quiet. It's not because you're Canadians and afraid of getting it wrong. No one prayed. Why did the resurrection happen? Because Jesus had compassion. Because Jesus is a merciful God. Jesus saw a widow and said, that's so sad. And he did something about it. When we pray, that's who we're talking to. Before we pray, Jesus has compassion. I don't know what He's going to do. I know who He is from the Word. Why don't you care, God? Okay, let's never go there again. Amen. Robert Belford does not care about people as much as Jesus does and never will. On my best day, on my best day, I don't even care about people as much as Jesus did when Jesus was dead. God forgives you. Why am I sharing this story again? Because, because, because I want our confidence when we pray for miracles to be in the mercies of Christ because He gives to those who don't deserve, and He's kind to people when they're sad, and because He wants to show off His Father's glory, and because He won't judge us when we say to Him, we're not worthy to come to you in prayer, but we're going to come anyways. And He's like, yes, we agree on something, and I am opened ears to you. His mercies, His mercies, His mercies. Not our performance, and not us getting it right. Amen? I'm hunting something here. Because I know when we pray, we so often have one eyeball turned backwards into our heads. Am I thinking about this right? Am I feeling it right? Am I praying right? Right? We've kind of got this thing going on. Don't look at the problem, don't look at your heart. Look at the throne of grace and ask according to your best wisdom and ask, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you, which leads me to what should we do's. Okay, so what should we do? Let's, let's just put all our trust, like, like this, this should just be a thing, not so that we can try to perform and get our feelings in the right place, but it will be helpful if we just, just talk about the mercies of God when we're praying for miracles. Number two, why don't we ask the Spirit to lead us? If you're worried about whether or not you're praying God's will, Ask the Spirit to put it on your heart to pray according to His will. Amen? Why don't you just ask the Lord to lead you? And number three I just I want to invite us we're in this November time we're praying for big things amen 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 let's pray for lots more specific miracles having determined beforehand, that we're going to do all we can to not get discouraged no matter what he does or doesn't do. Because it's not about us. This isn't our story. This is God's story. And he wants to use us. Amen? So, amen. Oh man, I love Are we ready to be unworthy yet? Anybody? One more story? Do you need one more story? Okay. I only need one person to say yes, wherever two or three are gathered, and I'm one of the two. Do you guys remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman? So she's not an Israelite. Her, she's got a child that's, like, afflicted, and she comes to find Jesus, hoping that Jesus will heal them, set them free. And she comes and asks for this miracle. And Jesus says to her, is it right to take the bread that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs? As a student of history, I can tell you, that there's never been a time when calling a woman a dog is a good thing. (laughs) And will result in improved self-esteem, (laughs) self-worth. And I don't know why he did that. I do know that she accepted it. And she says back to Jesus, yes, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Which just reminds you, guys, to never try to win an argument with a woman. (laughs) Because even Jesus couldn't do it. To which he responded, for an answer such as that, you'll get what you want. She went home and the healing had happened. But when you read that, you're just like, oh Jesus, what have you done? And the core of it, as far as I can see it, is this. He's he's just testing her because she's a bit of a pagan who probably works by works righteousness and he's saying, do you actually think you deserve this? And her response is, absolutely not, but I think you'll do it still. And he says, "A plus. I, I would rather be a dog eating at Jesus, eating the scraps off of Jesus' table than something else. So why don't we stand and worship? Let's just, if, if you're able, let's just be so unworthy and pray for miracles. Amen. Amen. Can we do that? You can pray for me. No judgment. Amen. Well, we'll see. Father, I just all joking aside, Lord Jesus, I want to confess in your presence again, I I do stuff every single week where I get it, Lord Jesus, that I am I am wrecked. Jesus, I get it. I can't actually do one good thing without your supernatural grace working it in me and through me. Jesus, I know you love me. I know you've chosen me. I know you're here. I know you're with me. And Jesus, I just want to confess again, I am will never be worthy to ask you for one thing. And yet I still believe you will do so much of what we ask you for. So God, would you come and take us Lord, I know in our hearts, we trip ourselves up so often. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us, Lord, from everything that stumbles us. From getting your miracles flowing more and more. Lord, if we're concerned about method, or if we are... (coughs) Letting our own knowledge of our own sin keep us from you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, break that. Jesus, you loved sinners. Lord, I'm a sinner. Jesus, we're sinners. Does anybody else want to admit that, we're, that they're a sinner in God's presence? Does anybody else want to admit that they're so unworthy of the kindnesses of God in God's presence? Does anybody else want to just say, we'll never be able to earn what we're going to ask you for in prayer? And God, would you do amazing things? God, I know there's families here right now that just want you to intervene in someone's life who just seems like right on the edge. Father, with all of our unworthiness before you, Work a profound resurrection miracle in the name of Christ. Jesus, you don't even need to go there. Speak the word from your throne and it is done. Jesus. Jesus, there's people here who just are bound up financially. God, would you deliver their minds? Lord, I pray that though they could never deserve it, you would rescue them from being slaves of money and make them masters of money for your glory. In Jesus' name. No more slaves. Lord, would you deliver from that fear? Lord, the fear of generosity, the fear of giving, Lord, the fear of loss, Lord Jesus. Deliver us from this fear, Lord Jesus. Lord, where everything we hear you calling us to, we respond, but we can't afford it. Deliver us, Lord Jesus. We we can't earn this freedom, but Lord, deliver us for your glory. Deliver us for your glory. Father, for the heart that is called to move in miracles and faith and healing, but right now keeps thinking, but what about that person? And what about myself? And what about those? People, Lord, without ever being able to earn it, deliver that heart to see the mercies of Jesus and to act because of the compassion of Christ. Holy Spirit, lead them, lead them, prompt, give them conviction to pray specifically for this person, that person in this way, whether it's touching with the laying on of hands or whether it's praying from the bedroom and never saying hi to that person. Lord, you are not bound And so, Lord, loose and loose and empower. Lord, drive us because of your mercy. Compel us because of your compassion, Lord Jesus. And Lord, let your people just praise you knowing that every breath is gift. In your name, amen.